And I think that's a really interesting thing about depression and about anxiety is this like need to justify um, why we have it. I appreciate the space that we're in culturally now where it's like it's we don't you don't need to justify how you feel all the time. It's okay to just feel what you feel. You're listening to the To Write Love on Our Arms podcast, a show about mental health and the things that make us human. Each episode, we bring you conversations about the things that can feel hard to talk about, like depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. We share stories and explore big themes like hope, healing, and recovery. Hey, podcast family. Welcome to the new year. As you probably know, we've been on a break for the past few weeks, working on a special series of conversations we'll be releasing this May for Mental Health Month. And we know that sounds probably pretty far away, so periodically, you might get a few surprise episodes from us in your podcast feed, especially when we record conversations like the one we have for you today with artist and musician Noah Gunderson. Now, before we get into today's episode, we wanted to share that we'll be hosting our annual Valentine's Day Doesn't Have to Suck Twitter chat on Friday, February 14th at 8 p.m. We know Valentine's Day for so many people can be lonely or a reminder of what's missing and maybe just brings a whole mess of expectations and disappointments to you. Don't get us wrong, we love love. We believe it's the most powerful force on the planet, but we know that this day is complicated. So regardless of how you feel about Valentine's Day, we want to invite you to join us and the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag Twaloha V-Day. Okay, so today we've got a really great conversation we're going to be sharing with you. Noah is a longtime friend of the organization. If you're familiar with Noah and his music, you probably know he released a new album this past fall and has been on tour. Noah invited Jamie and Twaloha to be a part of several of those U.S. dates. And as the new year started, Twaloha crossed the pond with Noah and his crew for a few more of the U.K. dates. Jamie sat down with Noah to hear about his own mental health experience and how that comes out in his music. You're going to hear more about Noah's journey of finding a therapist, what it looked like to prioritize his own mental health, and why being vulnerable on and off stage has mattered in his story. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And my last update is to our Florida friends. We're excited to share that you can catch Twaloha at Noah's Florida tour dates starting February 20th. Jamie will be speaking from stage, will be selling merch, and connecting people to local mental health resources at the Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, and Gainesville dates. To find out more about those events, check out twaloha.com slash events. That's T-W-L-O-H-A dot com slash events. Okay, now here's Noah and Jamie. How are you and how were your holidays? I'm doing well. I like this time of year, like the changing of the year and uh, kind of an opportunity to reset and like reflect on the past year and, and, you know, what I want to accomplish and and pursue in the new year. And it's also like as cheesy as it is, and I know it's a thing that everybody does, but like just kind of detoxing and trying to get back to a healthy kind of ground zero place physically and mentally. So that's been good. Be back in the studio. Um, so we've been started working on the new record this week. And then I leave for Europe with you. Yes. Next 
week, which is very exciting. I just ordered some lightweight running shoes and a um, jump rope. Okay, cool. So we'll go back to the beginning. And I tend to ask everyone this, but I just, I wonder if you could kind of paint a picture of what life was like growing up. I feel like you had a unique family situation just growing up with a bunch of siblings. You guys are so talented. You grew up around music. I know Faith was part of growing up. And, and I wonder if you could just kind of talk about about being a kid. And I know you don't live too far from where you grew up. Yeah, like like everything you just said, like my family was, was really important. It was really prioritized, like closeness, um, communication. My folks were really intentional about establishing a certain like climate in our house which like most things in our childhood has positive things to it and also some negative repercussions but just a lot of value on the family unit and I started like playing music at a young age we like I took piano lessons as a kid um, then taught myself how to play guitar later on we were homeschooled there was a bit of like an an isolation to my childhood because of being homeschooled, because of some of my parents' values. Where did you grow up and how many siblings? I grew up in Centralia, Washington, which is a town of like 50, 60,000 people. And I have four blood siblings and three adopted siblings. So you're growing up, family's a priority, you start playing music. Uh, and I wonder just, you know, relative to to write love and kind of every conversation we try to have with this podcast, I wonder where does mental health enter the picture in terms of you even having any understanding or awareness of, of mental health of, you know, whether it's your own or in the life of someone you care about. Yeah. I think that's easier to address than the kind of broad sweeping summation of my childhood. I think my first like, interaction with, I guess, just the awareness of mental health or mental unhealth, even though that wasn't the language that I put to it, was just being like a, in middle school and um, having depression, not having even that word for it. But I think in hindsight, I can look back and um, I just have memories of spending the days just kind of under this unexplainable, like heavy cloud or blanket or whatever you want to call it that didn't make any sense you know and I think I as a kid there was this frustration of like what is this from like there has to be a, a reason because why am I just sad so I think it was a frustrating and complicated time because I kept especially when you couple religion with that there becomes this kind of like obsessive compulsive need to like put an impetus to your depression. So like, you know, if my spirit feels heavy, then I must be like, you know, failing in my like walk in some way, which is especially in that time when, when you're going through hormonal changes, it's a lot to put on a kid. You know, I don't think it was my parents' intent. I think that they were just doing the best they could. And it wasn't just them. It was the whole system of Christianity and, or at least the, the version of it that I was kind of brought up in but that's my that was like my first run-in with like mental health but not really having language for it just like I was sad and for no reason yeah and then you know I think I found an outlet in art to 
kind of express this, the abstraction of my anxiety and depression because it wasn't necessarily circumstantial. It was just this thing that came on and I had really no control over of and no language for in conversation and no, no way to define it or explain it or justify it. And I think that's a really interesting thing about depression and about anxiety is this like need to justify um, why we have it. I appreciate the space that we're in culturally now where it's like, it's, we don't, you don't need to justify how you feel all the time. It's okay to just feel what you feel. But at that time I had no idea about any of that. So this, so playing music was a way to like kind of put language or, or at least intention to these feelings that I didn't really have shapes for. And then also at the same time, I think it was a, form of meditation, which I've realized now as I've started to meditate in the last couple of years, there's a, a focusing of the mind and a quieting of other things that I find in meditation that is, I think, very similar to the creative process. So I think part of my anxiety as a kid was having a, my, just my brain wouldn't shut off and I would spiral. And I think playing music and writing songs was a way to be really present and focus on what was right in front of me. So it was twofold. I know today being your friend and knowing you that you have tools and practices beyond music, even you just touched on meditation, but I wonder kind of at what point did you feel like you began to have language and, and maybe were introduced to the idea of therapy kind of as you grew up? Later than I, than I wish. I started going to therapy. Well, I, I started going to therapy a couple years ago and it was not very productive. Um, and I think that that's a, a good thing to just remind people of when they are looking for a therapist that like not any therapist is going to actually be helpful. Um, I think finding a therapist that you intuitively trust and that you feel a connection to is essential. Like the person that I went to, I just kind of felt like I was being analyzed by and having never been in therapy before, you know, you have all these kind of preconceived ideas about what it's supposed to look like from movies or books or conversations with people. And so your first therapist, you kind of just, or at least for me, I was like, well, this is just what therapy is. And this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like my, but I'm like, it must be, you know, this is the work and I guess the work sucks, but hopefully it's going to help me and something. But yeah, the, the person I went to, I just felt like I was being analyzed by and it just wasn't a good fit ultimately. So I found a, um, like a referral service here in Seattle a couple of years later that paired me up with several different therapists. And I kind of, I got to interview several different people. And for me, the decision really just came down to like, who do I feel most comfortable bearing my soul to? I found a therapist like that uh, about a year ago and we were meeting, started meeting every week. And I think the, the biggest thing right off the bat was for me to just realize that my feelings were valid on their own, that I didn't need to justify them or have a reason. It was like, it was okay to feel what I was feeling just for the feeling's sake. Does that make, does that make any sense? Yeah, Definitely how would you sort of describe what you have found in that counseling relationship? Like what, what you appreciate about it? 
I think as like a space to just slow down and examine my responses. There's family stuff. There's previous relational things, tendencies that I have. I don't deal with the same anxiety as much as I did when I was a kid. But when the moments that I do, I've actually found meditation to be almost more helpful than therapy um, because it's so, the overwhelming anxiety, it's difficult to talk through because it's so abstract and not circumstantial. It's just like, I have this wave of just unexplainable heaviness or like existential panic that kind of comes over me and, and, you know, I don't have any reasons for it. I mean, it might be triggered by something like, honestly, sometimes when I've traveled in Europe, I, I get it. There's this kind of loneliness that I experience. That's I get really bad jet lag. And I think the mind body connection is, is really underestimated. So for, for that side of it, of the mental health, um, I think there's a lot of different, there's several different things that I try to utilize. And that's just like simple things like getting enough sleep and drinking enough water and exercising and meditating and remembering to not like over connect with my feelings. Um, this kind of Eckhart Tolle kind of thing. But then as far as like what therapy has done for me, I think it's allowed me to examine my responses in a more graceful way instead of being like, well, this response is right or wrong. Instead, like these are my feelings and they're valid. You know, what I do with them, I have choices and I have agency. You know, if I feel a sense of anger towards someone or a response of panic, those feelings are valid. I'm not like a weak or bad person for having those responses. But then, you know, I I have choices about how I react to them. I know for me, when I was introduced to your music, which was over 10 years ago, you know, obviously I I connected with the songs, you know, I connected with your talent, but I've always known that I connected with your honesty and your vulnerability and your willingness to, to maybe say things that, a lot of people aren't sure if they're allowed to say or even specifically to ask questions that that maybe a lot of people feel but don't know, aren't sure they can express them out loud. And I mean, I feel like you, even as a, a teenager, you were willing to go there in your lyrics. And I wonder if that always came naturally. Was that scary? Was that a process? I think it came naturally because of my intentions behind writing music, which was to try to put shape to this kind of formless thing inside of me. So for me, writing songs was always kind of journey of like into the self and into self-exploration. And that requires a kind of unflinching honesty in order for real and true discovery. So I was just kind of airing my own like excavation process you know whatever inner monologue was was going on in the moments where it was true there's also some level of posturing that happens in in songwriting or can happen and i think that's definitely sprinkled through my stuff but what do you mean by that like when when we consume art and we consume music we as a i think as an artist you you absolutely transmute some of that into your own work so you know, I, I hear uh, like a, a Neil Young song or something and there's like certain cadences or certain like phrases or 
a kind of persona that is true to him that because of its truth feels appealing. And so I think there's a tendency as a younger artist and even sometimes now to kind of mimic. Um, and that's what I mean by posturing. I think it, if you can couch the truth in that, then awesome. But not all of my work is a hundred percent or just a hundred percent pure. Like I think there are songs and moments in songs uh, that I'm like, Oh yeah, sick. The conduit between my mind palace and the page was very short in this song. So it like feels very true, but then there's other songs where it's like, Oh, the conduit felt a little longer. And I think like some of the truth maybe got filtered out by wanting to sound a certain way or wanting to emulate someone that I respected, but in the course of doing so, you know, something kind of got lost. Can you name something mind palace? Um, I think like, I think it's an example. No, no, of... I just, I want you to have like a band called mind. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a good title. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to give an example of, of what that kind of looks, I think like, you know, the song um, that you and I kind of originally was a part of our connection was Jesus, Jesus, which I wrote when I was like 16. And that felt, Uh, very true to that moment, to that perspective where I was at. Now, obviously, I'm 15 years older than that, or 14 years older than that now. So like my, I wouldn't write that same song. But the truth of that moment, I think, came through relatively unfiltered, which is cool. And I think that's what I'm, that's what I try to work towards now. And I think that's just having a personal bullshit detector when you like, Oh, I'm kind of like fronting here a little bit and to just roll it back and like, listen to whatever that internal intuition is. that's telling you like, okay, you're speaking your truth or you're speaking half your truth. But the other half is like you just trying to be Dylan. I think something I've wrestled with over time has been being publicly vulnerable whether it's in speaking or writing and and getting a good response to that and then learning that to actually be known as a person and to be vulnerable throughout my life and in relationships is an entirely different thing. I wonder if you relate to that or I wonder what that process has been like cuz I I know that people obviously again connect with your talent but but even specifically with your honesty and your willingness to express difficult or even dark or hard things. And so I wonder if how you've made your way through that. Yeah. Before answering that, I think it's interesting, like your, I guess your job and the way that you communicate your truth is you don't have a song. You just have to get up there and talk, which is like, you know, like we were kind of talking at the beginning of the thing, there's like that, that switch in your mind that when you're talking to more people, you start to construct something more. And I think that's, um, to keep vulnerability while having an awareness of, you know, I'm in front of however many people or I have an audience of however many people that are just reading my words. Like that seems like that would be a a tricky balancing act to maintain. You're not just going to like stream of consciousness, get up there and like say the first thing that comes to your mind all the time. How do you kind of strike that balance of like, obviously constructing something but but keeping a sense of 
openness and vulnerability throughout it. I think kind of going back to maybe the way I phrased the question, it, it, it's just one thing to share something with people, you know, whether it's speaking or writing, but it's like when I'm up there, no one's really talking back to me. No one's asking follow-up questions. You know, if I, if I write an epic Instagram caption, it's me choosing to share something. And I, and I think I've just come to realize that, or come to believe that actually being in relationship on a smaller scale is what I need. You know, I'm grateful to have the outlets and the platforms that I do. You know, if I get five minutes before you go on to talk to your audience, like I really want to do it well and I want to try to move people and encourage people. I think I've just realized that for me as an individual and as a human being, there can almost be this like vulnerability as performance, you know, I'm, I'm sure you relate to that. And totally. I think I just, I, I had some years where I, I felt like I was able to perform this honesty, but I didn't have real friends. Like I didn't have people who really knew me and I didn't, I didn't have people that knew how I was doing or what I was struggling with. And so I think I've just, as I've gotten older, just realized the need for one way I've explained it is, is trying to live out or take the advice that I get up and share with people. Like I, you know, I get up on stage and say that people need other people. Well, that sounds really nice, but you know, I, I need people <laughs> and even therapy as an example, just yeah, I love encouraging people to get help. And I think I, years ago, I, I was comfortable telling everyone else to get help before I had taken some of those steps in my own life. Right. It's like you're in the, the airplane that's uh, going down and you got to put your own oxygen mask on before you put on the kids. Yeah. And I think I'm thankful because it's just, I think it's caused me to slow down and, and just think about my own life in seemingly small ways, you know, getting, getting coffee with a friend or being out on the road with you or, or prioritizing therapy it can't be about only things that that have hundreds or thousands of people paying attention. There's an interesting phenomenon when you're selling vulnerability. <laughs> there's, a, there's a there's an interesting phenomenon in that it's almost like you walk off stage and you're like, okay, my work is done. My work of vulnerability is done because I was just in I was vulnerable in front of X amount of people. Now I don't need to be vulnerable in front of anybody else, and that's like it's an isolating kind of place to get to. Yeah. And part of that is that there's also this, people have like a limited scope of who you are. And though that scope might be really true, it's still really limited. In a sense, you almost have to be even more intentional about being vulnerable with the people that you actually take the time to do that with. Because I know for me, because of how much like internal garbage I'm just kind of always tilling up, I feel like I've been approached by people who have this sense that they know me, which they don't. They know a part of me. Uh, they know a dramatized version of intense moments in my life, but sure. the human experience is 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 made up mostly of simple, boring moments. They're not actually boring, but boring in the sense that they're, they're not a John Hughes movie. I think that's where 
relationship and real connection and vulnerability lies is in the small moments that we choose to share with people intentionally. I'm learning to make myself more available for that, but also intentionally choosing who to expel that energy on uh, or with, because that's precious, you know, like time is precious and your energy is precious and you only have so much of it to give, especially if you're giving this like, you know, large chunk of it in a, in a particular way out to people on stage. That's well said. I wanted to, I was kind of reflecting on my time on the road with you recently. And even Aaron, my friend Aaron from our team who did the first three shows with me, we, we just drove away feeling so good and so grateful, you know, not just to be in the room with the music every night, but to be around the rest of your band and Tim, your tour manager and Ryan, your manager. And I think we just felt introduced to this really special community. And I know when people think of tour or maybe imagine you being on tour, it's like they, they picture the stage and the show and, you know, that's for you, maybe an hour, a little over an hour a night. But I, I wonder what kind of how that relates to what you were just talking about. Cause I feel like, and you and I talked about it in the car one day, but just kind of how, how special those relationships are. And I know you, I know it can't be in a way, maybe, maybe you were impressed or surprised at times with just surrounding yourself with people you genuinely care about and people who genuinely care about you and, and sort of what that, I know that's different than your day-to-day community in Seattle, but, but just kind of what you found helps you feel healthy and feel supported on the road. Going out on that tour in particular, I felt like I had a much better emotional and mental awareness of myself and of those around me than I had on previous tours. And um, yeah, I, just that the importance of the unit and the importance of like being around, you're, you're surrounded by a group of people pretty much 24-7 for, in that case, two months. I think for me, as like a band leader, I'm just trying to like find this balance of like, okay, I got to take care of myself. I have a limited amount of energy that I can give every day. Um, otherwise I'm going to become exhausted and cranky and an asshole. And there were definitely those moments, but I had a, I think I had a better sense of awareness of that this time around than, than maybe I had on previous tours. So there's that. And then there's also like just wanting to take care of, or just be at least aware of the people around me and how, you know, their mental health is, but also not with the mentality that I can like fix anyone. I had this mentality for a long time of thinking that I could just control every situation that I was in. If I had enough will and was smart enough, I would have the answer that would fix it. And I think the thing with mental health is that you can't fix other people's mental health, but you can show up for them and make yourself available and just listen. Um, And in turn, like my people were there for me in those moments. And that required me to be like, to kind of come down off of my own little self-made pedestal and be like, I'm having a hard time today. And just because I'm paying... Technically the boss. Yeah, just because I'm technically the boss uh, doesn't mean that I can't be vulnerable. And in a sense, uh, in those moments that I did do that, I found it was actually, you know, because I was in this kind of position of 
of sort of leading or being in charge or whatever, and yet could make myself vulnerable. It fostered a stronger sense of community, which was, you know, that's, that was really hard for me to do. I want to make sure everyone feels safe and comfortable and taken care of and in good hands. But, you know, I think that's just kind of this, it's a bit of an ego illusion that you're like, you're like George Washington or something, <laughs> the boat, like, <laughs> so vulnerability in that sense was really just kind of crucial for connecting. I think making, making ourselves vulnerable and showing up for each other just really strengthened our unit. And so that when times were more difficult and people were tired, we were able to have empathy for each other and to, you know, just recognize that we all have good and bad days. And I think if you're showing up with vulnerability, you're more, you're more empathetic to others' vulnerability as well. Definitely. That's good. I know I asked you this near the end of the tour, but I, I feel like maybe it, it's cool to talk about here even briefly. What is that transition like transitioning off of a tour and then kind of even now where you're a few days away. And in this case, you know, you're going overseas. I've heard a lot of artists talk about it being a challenging transition. And, and obviously not at most people who listen to this aren't in a band or, or, you know, on tour for music, but I think everyone can relate to sort of coming home from an epic experience or just, just life transitions and the challenges. And, and so I wonder what you've learned or what works for you as you navigate that. I wish I had a, like a better understanding of how to transition. I mean, I've been touring for almost 15 years now and I still don't really have it figured out. <laughs> I think it's, for me, I'm very much made aware of how limited our capacity is after a certain amount of time and that just constantly transitioning spaces and constantly giving a certain amount of like emotional energy to people within us, you know, within varying radiuses is exhausting in like a, in a emotional and physical way. So I think for me, it was hard kind of just coming home and then transitioning straight into the holidays, which are their own bag of worms or can of worms, however you want to, you know, contain your worms. <laughs> I feel like I'm just now starting to kind of get back to a creative space, which that I think is always is like my anchor is getting back into some kind of creative habit um, and routine. And that's, that also has to kind of be coupled with like a, like a physical regimen and like health. And I, I think that more and more I'm, I'm like convinced of the, of the importance of just like physically taking care of myself and how that directly impacts my mental health. Um, so I like this week I've had a routine of getting up, much earlier than I normally do. Um, and I do a boxing class in the morning and then I go to the studio and then I've been trying to, you know, do a little bit at the gym at the end of the day and I haven't been drinking and just trying to pay attention to all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not at the place where I want to be like, well, I'm never, you know, I need to do this all the time and I'm never going to drink and blah, blah, blah. And although that's like my extremist impulse, I'm, I'm spent enough time in my own brain to know that that's probably not a reality for me right now. Like that's the cool thing about putting yourself in kind of an extreme situation is you do it, you take note of how you feel, what your responses are, and then 
you know, when you're outside of that or in a different place, you can remember that like, oh man, if I want to get back to like center, I have the tools to do it. It just takes some discipline, but it directly impacts my mental health. So when you settle into a routine, even, even hearing you talk about this week, when you know you have to leave in a couple of days to head to the UK and then to Europe, is that exciting? Does that feel good? Does that feel hard? It's a bit like a battery recharge. Like I know I'm just hitting it really hard this week and then I'm going to leave on tour and hopefully have a full battery and the battery is going to slowly drain. And by the time I get back, I'm going to be wiped out. But I, I guess one thing I have gotten good at is building in time to rest um, and being easier on myself when I do come home from a tour and just recognize that knowing that I am depleted and that that's normal and it's okay. And it's just a lot about just having grace for yourself. I do think like I'm excited. It's nice to have this kind of mental reset, especially going into a tour overseas, which is difficult for me typically just to like, just have a clear mental space to like just prepare and to put together the tools that will make me feel more grounded as much as possible. And for me, that's like prepping, like what reading material I'm going to bring and like making sure that I'm bringing stuff that's like fun and easy along with something that's a little more inspiring and then like some nonfiction. And then I also like, I mentally feel a lot lighter if I'm, if I've packed lighter. Um, So just having the time to kind of like mentally organize what I'm going to bring and so that I don't feel like I'm bogged down by a bunch of crap that I don't actually need. And like, (laughs) this is kind of a, a funny thing, but I realized that touring itself has so much inconsistency to it and you're in a different city every day and especially overseas where it's foreign and you feel far from home. I realized like, I need something that can kind of center me every day. So I got uh, a little like hand coffee grinder and I got my AeroPress and I'm going to bring some of my favorite coffee and I've got my Yeti mug and like every day I'm just going to make my own coffee, which is a simple little thing, but I'm kind of curious to see how that kind of helps ground me. No, that's a, that's an intended coffee pun. Coffee pun. You would know because of Nashville. Yeah. 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 I dig that. I had one other thought I had, I knew coming into this, I wanted to ask you, but I I remember, I think it was in an Instagram post after the the last U.S. tour, you were just kind of expressing gratitude and and sort of reflecting on the whole thing, and I think you also shared that it was it was probably too long, and that you were I think you kind of just mentioned it briefly, but that you felt like you would do you wouldn't do it exactly the same, and and so I wondered kind of what you could share because I thought it, I thought it was I mean in a way there's vulnerability in that, in saying, Hey, this was awesome. I appreciate it. And I also need to do it differently next time. I grew up doing music in a very DIY sort of way. Like there's, it was a bit of like a punk rock thing where you book your own tour, you travel in a van, you sleep on people's couches. um, And you just have to be able to put up with a lot of hardship and like kind of grin and bear it because you're doing what you love at least an hour out of the day. So that's kind of shaped a lot of my mentality in the way I go into touring and in the way I go into or have gone into touring and the way I've gone into making music. It's just like you work really hard. You don't bitch about it. 
and you just keep going. Um, and I think that was necessary for me at that time, but I'm also not 20 anymore. And thankfully I've been fortunate enough to have a, you know, a career that's like sort of more stable now. So I don't have to kind of have that same mentality. So, so just having the awareness of like, oh man, two months is, is too much. Two months straight is, is too much for me, right? At this, at this point in my life. And, and it's okay. And it doesn't make me weak or something to like, to just recognize that. And, and maybe that has, maybe that speaks to like just a larger uh, recognizing of limitations. That's an interesting balance to look at because I think it's important for us to push ourselves into that that's essential for growth. But at the same time, like it's okay to have limitations and it's okay to recognize them. And I think I'm, yeah, I'm at this place where that much time on the road consecutively is just not something I really want to do. I don't, I just don't find it enjoyable at a certain point. And I, and I would like this career to always be something I enjoy doing, even though there's obvious moments of work. I don't want to just get stuck in like traditional patterns of how things are done or traditionally the way that I've done them. So we're getting, getting toward the end. There's a couple of questions we like to ask each guest and the first is, what would you say to your younger self? But maybe we'll say, what What would you say, uh, you know, whether it's advice or empathy or sympathy, what comes to mind when, if you could talk to 20-year-old Noah? My initial impulse would be to say that, like, what you're doing is is enough. It's okay. And that you don't need to pretend to be anyone else. But at the same time, I think, you know, the discovery that I the ex- exploration of other ways of being that I did throughout my twenties were what brought me to the perspective that I have now, which is why you never fuck with time travel. <laughs> You're going to screw up your current self. But I would say that I would also say that like, Hey, no one else knows what they're doing either. So don't worry about it too much. We're all on this journey of discovery and, also that no one is paying as much attention to you as you think they are. <laughs> Not like no one cares about you, but kind of like, I think we, especially in our twenties, we're all so self-conscious. And then you kind of reach this point where you're like, oh man, everybody else is kind of, they're too wrapped up in their own insecurities to really be paying that much attention to the stuff that I think they're paying attention to about me that I'm self-conscious about. I know we're like broken records with the vulnerability thing, but I think it's part of what's so cool about it is like we realize that other people aren't sure, aren't sure how to be 20 or 30 or 40 and how to have a career and how to have a family. And like you said, like everyone's figuring it out and we can have grace for each other. And I feel like that just becomes so much easier when, when we're willing to be honest and and not to kind of pretend to have it all together all the time. And then last question for someone listening right now, uh, maybe they're a fan of your music, maybe, maybe not yet, but if someone is listening and they're struggling, whether that's depression, addiction, anxiety, I wonder what, what words you might offer someone who's hurting. To start, I would say that your feelings are valid. But also, you are not just your feelings, which may sound like a contradiction, but 
I think when people suffer from depression or anxiety, they end up feeling bad about suffering from depression or anxiety. And I would say that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just who you are and it's difficult, but don't beat yourself up about something that is just a response. On the other side, though, I would say that something that I think has caused me to spiral is is to make my feelings my entire identity. And I think, I think Eckhart Tolle is at times kind of cheesy, but there's some truth in what he talks about in the, in the power of now, which is just that there's a kind of view that is outside of whatever's happening emotionally. Cause your emotions come and go, but there's a you that can be outside of that. And there's some like Zen and Buddhist teachings that talk about this as well, where you're just a kind of a, you can be a watcher of your own emotional experience while not drowning in the river of your own feelings. Um, and I think meditation can be really helpful in learning how to do that. I'd say also finding um, a, a good therapist, not just any therapist. So, you know, finding resources to find a therapist that's, that's a good fit for you. And then also like finding um, people that you can be vulnerable with. Um, and that's not just going to be just anybody. Like you're not going to just go up to somebody on the street and be like, these are all my problems because they're going to look at you weird. And maybe that's something that that is done more when you're not completely under the blanket of your own anxiety or, or depression. But when you can get under out from underneath that, I think being intentional about fostering community with people that are willing to show up for you and make space for you and can actually listen. And, you know, that takes time and work. It requires vulnerability, but it's super valuable. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for your time. Uh... Hopefully, I've expressed this outside of public places, but uh, it's been such a a highlight for me in recent months and over the last year to to reconnect and and to feel close to you and to get to spend time to be in the in the room with your songs every night, but also just to to get to be around you and and I'm really pumped that we get to do that again in a few days. Yeah, man, thank you. And yeah, I think for me, it's been cool. Like for me to um kind of have a, a, a renewed respect for your work and in the importance of your work and, and finding a, you know, hopefully productive and impactful way for like us to come alongside each other and, and hopefully be impactful in people's lives. And so I'm grateful and ultimately just grateful for your friendship that we've been able to hang out and stay buds for so long. We want to thank Noah Gunderson for this conversation. We hope you'll check out his new album, Lover, and also see where you can find him on tour at his website, noahgunderson.com. And a big thanks to Jamie again for hosting and connecting with Noah. We'd love it if you're in Central Florida, if you can come and check out Tualoha at the Noah Gunderson shows. You can find more information and details at tualoha.com events. And if you're not in Florida, check out the calendar anyway. See when Tualoha might be coming to a town near you. We hope each episode is a reminder that your story is important. You matter, and you're not alone. We understand that so many of you listening might be struggling or know someone who is struggling with the issues that we've been talking about. We believe that help exists, 
part of our mission is to connect people to the help they need and deserve. You can find local mental health resources on our website, tuloha.com. That's T-W-L-O-H-A.com. Click the Find Help at the top of the page. Or if you need to talk to someone right now, you can always connect with our friends at Crisis Text Line. You simply text the word TWILOHA, that's T-W-L-O-H-A, to 741741, and you'll be connected to a trained crisis counselor. It's free, confidential, and available 24-7. And if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, we really hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you can do us a favor, we'd really like for you to write us a review. It'll help more people find this podcast and the mission of TWILOHA. If you have any feedback or questions, please send us an email to podcast at twiloha.com. A big thank you to our friends at Copeland for the original music on this episode. The Detroit Love and Arms podcast is produced by Mark Codgen with editorial support by Claire Biggs and Rebecca Ebert. Music assistance was provided by James Likeness and Ben Titchener. I'm Lindsay Kolsch. Thank you so much for listening. To Write Love on Our Arms is a nonprofit movement dedicated to presenting hope and finding help for people struggling with depression, addiction, self injury, and suicide. Tuloha exists to encourage, inform, inspire, and also to invest directly into treatment and recovery. You can find more information about To Write Love on Our Arms at TWLOHA.com.